Uh, yeah, Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms to praise him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land too. Let us come and worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as I did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts are turned away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath. They'll never enter my place of rest. As we uh, come up to Easter, it feels like Christmas was just like last week. Um, But the shops are full of Easter eggs at the moment. And this morning we're going to begin our Easter, our series, Looking Towards the Cross. Um, But speaking of Easter eggs, there's this term in media and and movies called an Easter egg. And it has nothing to do with chocolate. Uh, It's not as tasty as it sounds. It's not egg-shaped. But it's an Easter egg, it's, it's a term used to describe a message or an image or a feature that is hidden in a movie or a game. And it's like those sneaky little hidden messages you find in your favourite film and it like, makes you go, oh wow, that is clever. i got one example here um, of uh, uh, Monsters, Inc., um, the move, in the movie, it's pretty old now, uh, 2001, uh, but Boo, the, the little girl, has this toy, um, and it's, the toy is Finding Nemo. But the movie Finding Nemo hadn't yet come out yet. It was still going to be released two years later. So that was this little Easter egg in Monsters, Inc. that Finding Nemo was going to come. You know, these little Easter eggs, you can find them in so many movies. Marvel movies are full of them. And they point to something that is to come. And this morning, as we begin our series, our Easter series, we're going to be looking at uh, the cross through the Psalms. And we'll see how these Psalms point to something else that is to come in the fulfillment in Jesus. And the Psalm this morning uh, that Gil read out for us is Psalm 95, And the psalmist begins with a call to worship. And this call is based on the supremacy of God. It is God who saves. He is the great God, the great King, who sits above all other gods. It was God who made the earth, and it is God whom the earth belongs. It was God who created us. We are His, and He is ours. And so the, the psalmist kind of communicates this, uh, these two things, that while God is so supreme, at the same time, there is deep intimacy with God and his people. He is our God, and we are his people. And he cares for his people, like a shepherd cares for his flock of sheep. And, you know, as you think about 
God caring for us like a shepherd, it might make you think of Psalm 23, a well-known psalm that says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, food and water are the fundamentals to sustaining life. And water in the ancient Near East was certainly in short supply. It wasn't so easily available compared to more tropical climates. And so the Psalm 23 goes on to say how through the leading of the shepherd to green pastures, to still waters, he refreshes my soul. That care, the shepherd's care, brings refreshment to our souls. Doesn't that sound nice? Church, are you yearning for refreshment this morning? Maybe you're longing for refreshment. You're tired. You're worn out and burdened. Maybe you feel like a fish who's been caught and you've been reeled in onto shore. You've been yanked onto the shoreline and you're gasping and flapping about, waiting, hoping that you might get back into the water to breathe again. Maybe you feel like a mouse just stuck in a mouse wheel, just running and running, getting tired but not getting anywhere. And it's, you're not seeing any change and it's disheartening. Maybe you feel like you're just under constant pressure, constant stress. And there's stresses that seem to hit you again and again, like wave after wave, like oceans, waves hitting the shoreline again and again. Anxiety builds, stress builds. And this idea that the shepherd leads us into green pastures and beside still waters seems like just a dream. But are you aching for refreshment this morning? The psalm here invites us to let the king of the universe care for us. To let the supreme God who made it all, owns it all, to provide refreshment for our souls. For the Israelites in their history, this spiritual refreshment was exemplified by the physical. The Israelites, after God delivering them from slavery in Egypt led them to the promised land. And this land was to be a place of rest. No no longer needing to wander anymore, but to be in the place that God had provided for them. And if you've been around church for a little while, you would know that that, it wasn't that simple uh, for the Israelites. And let's read Psalm 95, picking up from halfway through verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice. And then what follows is God speaking. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. They were sheep that did not trust their shepherd to provide. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years, waiting for the generation to die out. Not even Moses got to go into the promised land because of their hardness of heart. 
because of their disobedience. They did not enter the promised land. They did not enter God's rest. And the psalmist here is referring to this location, Meribah and Massah. At this place, this event initiated God's anger. You know, in the weeks leading up to this event, the people have just seen the Red Sea split in two and they've walked straight through. They've, they've escaped the Egyptian army. They were being led by a physical manifestation of God's presence in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was manna already falling from the sky so that they could make bread in the wilderness when then there was no food. Yet all these things took place. Yet they still wondered, where is God really with us? And so that brings us to the events of Meribah. Meribah means quarrelling. And we can read about it in Exodus 17, uh, 1 to 7. So we're going to read that now. There was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink, Moses replied. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I supposed to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Even though God has provided so much for them, they still quarreled and tested God, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Did God just bring us out of Egypt so that we would die in the wilderness? It is here at Meribah that God gave the people water, and water just out of a rock. God provided it for them even though they did not trust him. The events of Meribah demonstrate the hardness of their heart and it prevented them from entering into God's rest, the promised land. Hardness of heart will prevent you and me from entering into God's rest. The earth belongs to God. He cares for his people. He is the shepherd of his people and he leads them to green pastures and beside quiet waters. So the question for us this morning is, will we follow his lead? Will we trust his leading? As it is his leading that will provide refreshment and rest for us. At my place, uh, we have an old wooden, wooden dining table um, and it was carefully crafted by my great-grandfather. It's beautiful, solid, with smooth curves, and it's even extendable by being wound out and this mechanism inside it. This table has been in my family for decades now. 
And I've been told at the beginning, uh, before my time, the wood was soft. The wood was pliable. It was, it was nice to the touch. But over time, the wood began to, to change. The table has changed. After decades of use and, and abuse from at least two generations, my, my generation and my son's generation, um, the wood, it started to change. It's far from its former glory. The wood is dried out. It's grown hard and rigid. The once soft curves became hard and rough. You know, as, and as you sit down and, and shuffle your chair underneath, um, you have to be really careful your knees don't hit the sharp angles underneath the table because it can be really painful. My great-grandfather, he was a skilled woodworker and he passed that trait on to my grandfather. My mother, an only child, not so keen on the woodwork, meant that it had to skip a generation. Uh, so I can remember as a child spending many weekends and, and days after school uh, in grandpa's shed doing woodwork. Got some fond memories of that. And over time, if we're not careful, our hearts grow hard and harsh to the touch. We grow bitter and unpleasant. We grow two-faced and, and deceptive. And the generations after us, no matter how, how, how well we hide it, they see our hardness of heart and grow hard of heart as well. And the trait is passed on. Has your heart grown hard after weeks or months or years or decades of desperately needing refreshment? Has our hearts grown cold? Have our hearts grown bitter? Have our hearts grown untrusting? See, even at the, after the events of Messiah and Meribah, the Israelite nation continue to doubt God's leading. And centuries later, the prophet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So Jeremiah is pointing out that there's two issues here. Not only do we not trust God, but then we also take things into our own hands. In our thirst, we forsake the good shepherd who promises to lead us to still waters. And so instead, we make our own wells. But the wells we make are broken. They don't give us refreshment because they don't actually hold water. And so we just end up drawing up sludge from the bottom, and it doesn't satisfy. So instead of the fresh waters of God that provides from his goodness and faithfulness, we choose the stagnant waters out of our own stubbornness, out of our own self-reliance, and out of our hardness of heart. How responsive to the Lord's leading are you? You know, when was the last time you heard his voice? When was the last time you, you felt him speak to you? 
When was the last time you read the Bible and the, and the words just jumped out and it felt like God was speaking directly to you through those words? And when did you hear God's voice and did you follow through? Were you obedient to what he was asking you to do? One of my old mentors would always say, if you stop hearing God's voice, maybe it's because you haven't done the last thing he spoke to you about. How responsive to the Lord's leading are you? Or are you taking matters into your own hands? You know, when you're faced with a problem, do you consult God in prayer? Or do we immediately seek to solve it out of our own self-reliance? Do you just do more, work more, get busier, and the cycle of self-reliance continues? And think about your relationships around you. What emotions do you notice arise in yourself? Is it anger? Is there frustration? How patient? Are you? How patient are you with your children, with your spouse? How gracious are you towards your co-workers, your family members, your neighbours? At Massa and Maribar, it was not the rock that was the living water, but God was the source that provided the refreshment. And this would foreshadow the living water that Jesus provides. And that brings us to John's gospel. Jesus had this strange encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. I won't go into the detail of the background because uh, David Devine explained it really well just two months ago when he preached on this passage. And you can go back and watch the recording if you like. But we'll look at John 4, 10 to 14. And we'll see this encounter Jesus has with the woman at the well. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says he is the source of living water. And later in John chapter 7, Jesus reveals that this living water is the Holy Spirit. Jesus' offer of living water is that we'll never be thirsty again and shows that the reversal of the curse of the old fallen world, the, the barren wilderness is redeemed into springs of water. So when we read Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. When I read that, I like to think, you know, God will lead me to a tranquil place in my life. You know, maybe he'll make my kids just a little less crazy 
You know, maybe he'll lead me to go on a nice long holiday. Maybe he'll lead me to a place where my work just gets less busy or some circumstances change. You know, so that I might enter into rest, that my soul might be refreshed. But these things, as nice as they might be, are not the source of refreshment. They are not the living water. Jesus is the, li- the source of living water. So where is God leading us? Where is God shepherding his people? To Jesus. And so this morning, Jesus invites us to stop building our own wells, to drink, stop drinking the stagnant waters of our own self-reliance and our hard-heartedness. He invites us to come to him. Many years ago, I was fortunate enough to go to Africa, and we went to some pretty remote parts of Uganda. And I have some fond memories there, but while we were there, there was no running water, which meant showers in the river and using drop toilets. Everything was a few kilometres walk away, and it was so hot and so humid, you would just get so thirsty all the time. You would just constantly be drinking water. And I remember walking into town and and already finishing my water bottle, looking for something to drink, something to buy. But getting sealed water was actually somewhat difficult. But one thing that was abundant in remote Uganda was Coke. And for some reason, it always tastes better when you're super thirsty and it's in a glass bottle. So delicious. But all the sodium and all the sugar and soft drink just doesn't quench your thirst like cold, fresh water does. So finding bottled water in remote Africa was difficult. But that's the only thing that would quench my thirst. And it's easy to give up looking or waiting and just drink whatever is abundantly available. I think that's the challenge for us. There is so much abundantly available to us that does not really quench our thirst. And we choose what is convenient over what fulfills. I think this happens because we misunderstand what Jesus is saying in verse 13 and 14. Let me read that again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So when we come to Jesus for the first time, maybe it was a long time ago for some of us, maybe it was more recent uh, for others, but we, after a while of following Jesus, we discover that the desire of thirst is still there. But we think, but I have Jesus now. He said I'd never be thirsty again. So why do I still thirst? This is the important thing. The thirst is not met by removing the aching desire of thirst. But the thirst is met by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that truly satisfies our souls. Verse 14 tells us it will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
See, the water from Jesus does not mean you won't have to drink from his well again. But it does mean that when we do drink from his well, your thirst is truly quenched. And we have access to this living water all the time, 24-7, any place, any time. As followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us. So if we are thirsty, if we are dry, it's not because God has not provided it for us. It's because of our hardness of heart. We're doubting God's provision in the wilderness. So the only thing that is stopping us from entering into God's rest is our hardness of heart. Because we keep going back to the broken cisterns, bringing up the sludge from the bottom, the stagnant water, and filling up on that instead. I want to conclude with a blog post from author Maggie Coombs. She says this about refreshment. On a rare 87 degree day in September in Minnesota, I think that's like 30 degrees Celsius. I'm guessing that's really not that hot, but I'm guessing it's really cold in Minnesota in September generally. Uh, My sons and I stopped at their grandparents' pool. As each one jumped in, He screamed in sudden horror. It's so cold. We all know that there is only one solution when you're shocked by the temperature of a pool. You stay submerged for as long as possible to get acclimatated to the cool refreshment of the water. And I'm convinced that we all know the one solution to spiritually dry seasons too, to stick with spiritual disciplines consistently. However, when the heat of circumstances or sin causes our souls to begin to shrivel, we know that plunging deep into the living water will refresh us. But we fail to follow through because when our souls have grown hot and dry, that kind of refreshment is unpleasant and shocking. But we know that the living water will become refreshing if we just stick it out if we keep immersed in it. We know that deep within us that our souls will soon adapt to the change in temperature and that joy is found in swimming in the cleansing waters of our Saviour's love. Jesus invites us to let him care for us, to let the supreme God who made it all, owns it all, to provide refreshment for our souls. And Jesus came so that we might have life and life to its fullness. So this Easter, as we reflect on the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour, let us remember that he alone is the source of living water. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd that provides for us living water that refreshes our souls. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. May we turn away from self-reliance and trust in your provision. 
reveal to us what ways we need to do this. May we not run from the shocking refreshment of your living water, but may we dwell in your presence and receive from you everything that we need. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.